0: Welcome, welcome to Monday morning, May 15th, and I hope that you've been following this because we want to jump right in. Once the church in Rome was established, there's a split with Constantinople in the East, around 1100, won't go into all the reasons there. But what happened was, when the Bible is sheltered, controlled, and distributed by a tiny monopoly, there's a, there's a lot of room for corruption, and it especially, exponentially more room for corruption whenever religion is also the government and in charge of money, lands, property, power, and title. Therefore, as has been said many times, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So it should not surprise us to find that uh, by the, well, we could say by the, and almost name any year. But I'm, I'm going to pull it back here and say by the 1500s, we had some real problems. Um, the priesthoods were for sale. Bishops were for sale. Um, popes would be brought in who had many mistresses, many uh, illegitimate children, who would then make those children when they were 10 years old bishops over diocese. This was not rare. It happened a lot and to continually raise money, they found ways to wage wars, to raise taxes, tolls, uh, user fees for everything. Well, that wasn't enough. So they actually uh, went to the length of selling indulgences, which were documents that would give you forgiveness for sins. And in, in fact, there were, there were real prices. Um, you can go to Google and, and just look up Tetzel, T-E-T-Z-E-L, because he was a great salesman of these. And before a coin in the box rings, you know, another soul from Purgatory Springs. So you could pray your, your, your friends out of Purgatory, but you could also pay them. Paying was much quicker. So there, there were costs, um, robbery, lying, forgery, rape of a virgin. All of these, killing a layman, striking a priest, eating meat on Lent or arson. By the way, striking a priest, eating uh, meat on Lent, you had to pay more than for raping a woman. It was awful, absolutely awful. You could even buy forgiveness before you committed the sin. This outraged a lot of people, but they didn't have any power to resist. The state had all of the power and the religion was the state and the state was the religion. They had all of the power. They had all of the arms. They had all of society. Besides going against the church was like going against God. Something had to break. And once again, if you are Catholic and you're just tuning in here and about to tune out, I need to ask you to do something for me. And that is this. Understand that I consider you my brother or sister in Christ, and that if you look at my own religious tribe over the last 150 years, because it's relatively young, um, I have since left that tribe. But if you look at it, the one in which I was raised, it's not pretty. Racism, uh, misogyny, uh, hatred of foreigners, xenophobia, and every single group you look at. It doesn't matter whether they're your historical leaders or your friends, and then you go through their biographies, there are some things that are just not pretty. So I'm not condemning Catholics here. What I'm condemning is humanity, because we are all sinners. It just happened that the Roman Catholic Church had a monopoly over the West. This story might have been, and I'm sure it it is, extremely different if we went to look in the east or in africa or south america but this is this is where we were at the time in 1348 a comet appeared in the sky it was bright it was thought that comets foretold tragedy Uh, in many places it did the black death arrived in europe the black death killed nearly 70 percent seven zero seventy Percent of the population. It struck so quickly that you could wake up feeling a little off, get a fever, and by nightfall you were dead. Oxford, England had 15,000 inhabitants in 1348. Five years later, 3,500. That's how awful this is. And if, you, if you've been to Breton, you'd know that you can go to cemeteries and somebody's pointed it out, that if there is a stone that has a skull and crossbones on it, they weren't a pirate, it means they died of the plague. And they're just, it's everywhere. There was a student, a first year student at Oxford. Remember 15,000 to 3,500 during this time, people are dying all around and here's a first year student arriving at Oxford. His name was John Wycliffe. He lived through the plague. He wrestled with issues of life and death and God, and how can all of this happen if there's a good God? So he read the Bible and he became enraged, not because it didn't answer the question of evil and the like, but because what he saw in churches wasn't there And in fact, a lot of what he saw in churches was forbidden and attacked in scripture. He read the Bible. People didn't do that, but he did. And it made him angry. He first attacked transubstantiation. That's the doctrine that when a priest prays over the the host, the wafer and the wine, that they become the literal body and blood of Christ. He said that was mythology. That was paganism. By the way, if you're thinking, well, who thinks it becomes a literal? They actually did microscopic scientific testing on this in the 1900s. And in the 2000s, they were still looking at it to try to find some way to um, you know, make people understand, your prayer didn't change anything here. And so they, and now it's become spiritualized. It's a spiritual. Uh, and okay, that's fine. But I still get atheists to this day, last week, looking at me, talking to me, saying, um, how can we believe in any church that believes you get to eat your God and that makes you better? That doctrine has ramifications. Regardless, then he attacked the elevation of Mary as the mother of God, Theotokos. He, um, The adoration that, that built up this cult of worship around her, her perpetual virginity, all of it. He attacked this. That was not safe. The Roman church went after Wycliffe, but Wycliffe was protected because he was in England, and England had some extra protections built around their citizens if they were of the right class, if they were in the ranks uh, at a particular level. It's a very class-based society, even to this day. That's not a slam on England. It's Observation is not criticism. It's just an observation. Um, Wycliffe considered himself a Catholic because there were no other options. It wasn't like, well, I'm gonna become a Protestant. Nobody had ever heard of that. Well, I'm gonna start a church. That would have been considered, what? That n- nobody does that. So he still considered himself a Catholic, but he wanted to tell people real Catholics, real church people, wouldn't do what our church is doing. Shortly thereafter, he became, after his graduation, he became head of Belial College president and and considered, quote, the most learned man of his time. He attacked the abuses he saw. Illiterate clergy, again, because people were just being handed these jobs, um, some of them illegitimate kids, some of them because they paid money, by the way, until very recent times in Britain, you could buy an officer's rank, which explains uh, the horrible tactics of World War I and the Napoleonic Wars, for example. You had no skills at all, but you had enough money to buy yourself a captaincy. You know, and anyway, that happened in churches as well. So he fought them. He said, priests ought to be able to read their Bible and they can't even read many of them, the selling of priesthoods and bishoprics that he attacked as well, and the locking away of the Bible from the common people. And they literally did lock it away, but it was in Latin anyway. And by the 1300s, the common people, no common people spoke Latin ever, anywhere around. Therefore, it was locked away by translation as well as by location. He thought it was time to get the Bible in the hands of the people. And immediately was branded an enemy of the church. Well, I've been asked. Well, with all of this going on, can we trust our Bible? Yeah, yeah, we can, because remember what the Bible's job is: it's to get you to Jesus. Luther used to say that if he lost all of the Scripture except for the Book of Romans, that he would get, he would be saved. And I, I, I get his point. We're not saved by having the right books and reading them in the right order. We're saved by where they are supposed to bring us, and that is to Christ. Wow. John Wycliffe did what he could do. But about a little bit after that, um, in the 1400s, comes another man, John Huss. He pushes forward the concept of scripture in the, in the vernacular. The way that humans speak, many would believe that Luther is the one who did all of this. But um, John Huss, John Wycliffe, a lot of people did this work. But the man that did most of it, I want to just spend a few minutes on the rest of this one. William Tyndale. Uh, most people who've read about the development of the Bible in English, and I'm I'm very aware that this is an English-centric story I'm telling. Most of them will have at least heard Tyndale's name, but rarely is serious scholarship poured into this fascinating individual. The first scholarly biography of William Tyndale was not published until the year 2000, and that is just staggering. He was born in 1494, outside of Bristol. It's a beautiful city southwest uh, of England, very close to Wales. We know nothing about his first years, but he must have been very bright because he went to Oxford at age 11, 11. years later, he had a Master of Arts degree. Normally that was a seven-year program, so he didn't get it super fast, but it is thought that he served as a clerk during that time before being admitted to the degree proper. He also would have to master, to get the degree, You had to master the seven liberal arts. It was really hard to get a liberal arts degree back in those days. Why? You had to be able to stand, by the way, and argue with the panel of the esteemed doctors of the schools. And like all of these, like Cambridge, Oxford and the like, have many colleges within uh, the umbrella of Oxford or Cambridge or the like. You had to master grammar, rhetoric, logic, music, arithmetic, geometry, and astronomy. Those were the liberal arts. He would have also had to master the three philosophies, natural, moral, and metaphysical. You got the feeling going to university was a lot different back then. It was. There were no party schools. There were no uh, intercollegiate sports. We can piece together just enough of those years to assume that Tyndale came under the influence of a secret society called the Lollards, L-O-L-L-A-R-D-S. But we'll talk about them as we go. Um, We know he suddenly left Oxford at a time when a, uh, a Cardinal Woosley came through to root out corruption and went on an 18 month witch hunt, an interrogation, an inquisition at Oxford. He hunted anybody who was reading prohibited books or teaching prohibited subjects or teaching allowed subjects in a prohibited manner. 18 months grilling the students and the professors at Oxford. How harsh was this? Um, this assault on Christian freedom. Well, you're sitting down. In 1517, five men and two women were burned alive, burned to death, for the crime of teaching their children the Lord's Prayer in English. Yeah. Others were killed for teaching the Ten Commandments In English. If you're thinking, well, then what did they know? They knew to do what the priest told them to do when the priest told them to do it. That's it. Because they couldn't read Latin. And if you translate it into English, the church would kill you. And again, the church, in their writings, they were trying to protect the Bible. Because if it got into the hands of people, look what they do with it. And as I've said before, they had a point. Well, where do we find Tyndale next? He's in a pub, so kind of like him already. Um, he's going now to a more liberal university. He's going to Cambridge. He's at that pub called, um, I think it was White, yes, the White Horse Inn. And he shared the dangerous ideas that he had heard from men such as John Wycliffe, Collett, and John Huss. He'd become a member of something called the White, horse society. Only 25 people were ever members, and most of them would be martyred for their faith in the years to come. They put their lives on the line. Locals called the pub Little Germany because its most loyal com- uh, customers were from either from Germany or loyal to John Huss, and the Huss and the Hussites were a people that wanted to go back to simple religion, community living, very socialist in in the way it was built, very much built on the end of Acts chapter two, Um, and also religious freedom, so that you didn't have to be a Hussite if you didn't want to be one. Uh, They didn't say it's us or death or us or hell, they just, they said, you can have a choice. Cambridge was not safe for Tyndale for long, and the Inquisition arrived in force in 1521. Uh, Tyndale was about 30 years old and he went back to his native county, uh, Gloucestershire. There he served, as many people did, who got their masters, as a tutor to a rich man's children. And that gave him time to do what he really wanted to do, to take the Greek text of the scripture that had been done by Erasmus a long time ago and translate it into English. That was subversion. That was treason. He was automatically an enemy of the state for wanting to do this. Because remember the inquisition and these other inquisitions didn't just kill you or jail you or take your property and freedom because of things you did, but it was because of things that you thought in your heart that they they tortured out of you or pressed out of your neighbors. So. It needed to be, Tyndale said, it's got to be released. We gotta get the Bible out there. So let's do it in a form that people could, the common people. See, there are different forms of English. And if you've read Canterbury Tales and Beowulf, and you know that old English medieval, and up into Shakespeare's time, which is well after Tyndale, that English had many different forms. So he had to find a way to do this in a way that English speakers could read it, which was tough, because there were no commonly agreed upon spelling or grammar rules for English. It was considered a language of the gutter, a language of the common rabble. So Canterbury Tales, if you know this, if you've read those, and if you've read Shakespeare, you know they just made up the spellings uh, and did them the best they could. So, by this time Tyndale uh, was a master of eight languages, so much so that he, is, uh, he was uh, described by one contemporary as being able to, be, to sound like a native in Hebrew, Greek, Latin, Italian, Spanish, French, English, and German. So, before we close this down, I wanna tell you what drove Tyndale to do this. It was dinner. Yeah, the man uh, in whose home he lived was Sir John Walsh. It was his children that Tyndale was tutoring. He was a man of great power and influence in the area, and he would bring in high-ranking clergymen from the Catholic clergy, the only clergy. Again, it was the only church. So Tyndale was expected to be at all of those dinners and to participate in these discussions remember you did not have tv access to books was severely limited Uh, you um, discussion was the way that you spent your time debate um, telling stories advancing uh, and questioning ideas that's how you spent your time so Tyndale was constantly appalled at these dinners because the priest and the bishops there who sat with their great riches, just vast robes and jewelry and power, everybody bowing to them, didn't know scripture. They knew precious little of church history. Well, Sir John Walsh, and do this in in English, it's just Sir John, found that very amusing. and would often stir the pot to get tempers to rise. His wife, on the other hand, was terrified that this is gonna bring down trouble on her house. And I'm, I'm gonna tell you something, I'm with the wife on this one, because this is a very dangerous game to be playing. She was also concerned because if, if this, this will bring down trouble on the house, she'll lose her place in society. So she reminded Tyndale, you stop poking. You stop allowing Sir John to get you into these things. You have no right to correct men of God placed in their positions by God via Mother Church. Well, Tyndale decided, okay, at the dinner, nobody's interested in what he had to say. But maybe they would be interested in what Erasmus had to say. But that's next week. Please subscribe and please hit the like. If you have questions, please email patrick at rsafeharbour.com. And as always, if you're able to give, that is just amazing and wonderful. And we're very, very grateful. God bless you. Have a lovely week. We'll see you very soon.